This is Justice Matters with Tim Buxton, coming to you from Yugambe country of the Commonberry people of the Gold Coast, Australia. I'm your host, Tim, where my sole aim is to share conversations I get to have with inspiring people doing remarkable work to create a world where we all belong. This podcast is brought to you by the Just Travel Company. Experience wonder and unearth justice and discover the just way to travel today. Visit just-travel.co. Without further ado, here's our guest for this episode of Justice Matters. Nick Ruiz from Miles for Migrants. Welcome to the Justice Matters podcast. Thanks for inviting me here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, mate, we, uh, we've had a bit of a chin wag or a little chat, as we say in Australia, um, uh, already just talking about so many different things. Um, obviously, we're shared passion for serving migrants, refugees, asylum seekers, all of the above that um, are looking to find most of all safety and a place to to rebuild their lives. Um, Nick, I came across you through a mutual friend of ours and flabbergasted by uh, just the, the, the work you're doing, um, which started, albeit, with a Reddit thread that you're involved in. So on that note, do you mind, Nick, just kind of sharing um, a bit about how uh, how you kind of got engaged and involved in working with refugees, migrants, and maybe where uh, Reddit came into the picture. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So first of all, I'd say that some of the best opportunities in your life come unexpected. So uh, first, my journey brought me unexpectedly into Europe. So um, I live in the United States, uh, and I do today, but as I was pursuing my master's degree and eventually my PhD in areas of artificial intelligence, my journey brought me out to Europe. And so um, I started out in the Netherlands, uh, had a little stay in Germany, and then uh, I lived in Italy for a total of five years. And during that time, uh, as I was um, with my wife, uh, Jen, um, we had our family there, and um, we were uh, connected with an international community, um, with a local church there and an international community. And um, as we got more and more involved in leadership in that community, uh, we would open up our home first to other master's degree students and, and PhD students from around the world uh, who didn't have a family unit there. And usually they were in their apartments. And um, felt lonely, and, and so we would invite people in, and uh, we we had a, a nice family going on. Um, eventually, we we also had our two daughters. Um, I have a daughter who's now ten and seven. Both of them were also born in Italy, and so as we were wow. acclimating and and just really getting to uh, develop a family there, and and working with internationals, um, one day I had this burning. Uh, desire to learn more about um, persecution that happened in the world. And, and mm. so as a Christian myself, I said what I like to call a dangerous prayer. I, and just like a, a morning prayer, uh, I had asked um, just to be able to see more what it, what it means to be persecuted. And mm. about a week later, um, my church uh, had a guest pastor come from Pakistan. 
his name is Latif. And um, unlike any other uh, kind of sermon about impact and stuff, for the first time I got to meet um, an asylee who went through mm-hmm. a harrowing journey of um, persecution himself for religious purposes. And yeah. he was here in my um, city in Trento, Italy. And um, I also learned that his story was not complete. Um, he was waiting for his wife and son to be able to reunite with him. And um, through that experience, I got to learn more about his life. And uh, ultimately, I got to see uh, his own family reunion. Um, mm. But the story didn't end there. Shortly after that, other refugees from Pakistan in similar situations were arriving in Trento, Italy. And um, we had a community that was uh, supporting family reunifications after um, after these asylum seekers received asylum in Italy and finally would get their family visa. But each time we would have families of six to seven who needed to come to Italy. And so each time it was about 5,000 euro um, to mm. fly their families. And all of the financial support dried up. Um, but I had a friend of mine um, who... I knew for about three years yeah. and um, he was getting so close to having his family visa. Um, and it was a time that I was about to return to the United States. Um, as a PhD student, I was getting probably less than the minimum wage, but, um, wow. but I told him we will find a way. Um, don't worry about um, the cost, mm. but we're going to find something around the time. Um, I had been um, doing a lot of research on travel on Reddit. Because also as um, a student, I didn't have a lot of money to fly back to the United States, especially yeah. with um, what t- what became a family of four. So um, I started to explore airline miles and credit cards that you get sign up bonuses for right. um, to to basically fly my, fly my family. Um, but in my research, as I was um, thinking about how I could help my friend, um, I discovered that I could use one hundred twenty thousand American Airlines miles and less than $500 to solve a 5,000 euro problem. Wow. And um, in the end, um, I booked the flight um, and uh, his family was reunited. Um, I wasn't in, the, in Italy at the time, but a friend of mine uh, went and picked them up and he sent me the pictures. And um, it was just so amazing to see um, what, I could do with just a small amount of miles. Um, mm. It's it's just something that um, I just remember vividly, um, even even to this day. But um, I took that idea and I went back to that Reddit community where I learned about um, points and miles, and I shared this story about this great redemption of miles because yeah. this community they love um, they usually love um, business class flights. Um, right. at a reduced cost. And really, they are um, really world travelers. And they sure. love to share about the way that they are able to get the most amazing trips. They have so, the system. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I shared about my, my best redemption. Uh, I didn't know what to think, really. Um, but um, it, at the time, it became for a community of over 60,000 people, it became like the top upvoted story. And very shortly after, a moderator, this amazing person, Seth Stanton, um, reached out to me uh, within moments and he said, we have to start something. Um, we Neither of us really knew about what <laughs> build a nonprofit, um, but we knew that we were on to, 
onto something. And um, that, that really started us in along on our journey in uh, 2016. I love that. I love the, the scrappiness you described that story with, you know, great things don't often start in a boardroom. They start in the back room just trying to figure out um, your backs, your back was against the wall. You don't have the funds. This this gentleman who desperate to be reunited with his family had no resources, and you find you found a way. And I, I, it's kind of inspiring, really. I think for people out there that might feel themselves, you know, like faced with, you know, wanting to make a difference, but feel like I've got nothing. Like, what, what do I have? And and um. And now Miles for Migrant is 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 this organization that how many I think last time we talked it was like was it thirty thousand like how yeah. many people so, have you helped? So we started in, in twenty sixteen, um, and to date we're just under forty thousand people that we've been able to fly. Forty thousand redemptions. Re- redemption stories right i love the way you called it my best redemption on reddit <laughs> this is my best redemption and like um you know that that's a that's a uh, a reunion with each one of those flights um um i can imagine though it's you know it's it's been a journey to get to where you've you've got mm-hmm. um one of the things I really appreciate about you is this is not your day job. You don't have a full time, you don't dedicate yourself full time to doing this. You, you work on the side and you've obviously got um, PhD studies that you've pursued in along the way. Um, what can you share some of the struggles of kind of like maybe from that first moment of like, Hey, we were able to have this impact on this person's sure. life to like, to building this thing like what what has it what has it been and what has that kind of journey been like um um yeah. for you sure yeah so um as seth and i decided to um incorporate um and and ultimately ultimately andy friedman also uh, joined us the mm. first challenge we had to solve was um we didn't have context into developing a non-government organization Right. Um, and uh, we also had a lot of challenges that we needed to solve about how do we identify people who need to fly? Um, ultimately, we did build uh, this NGO that mobilizes resources to remove barriers for transportation, but um, we needed to leverage other partnerships with NGOs, um, such as the International Rescue Committee, um, Catholic mm-hmm. Charities, um, many others. But we really had to figure out how do we get started as um, three guys who um, aren't experts in um, in human rights or uh, right. in um, global displacements. And so we just tried the best that we could, which was really to reach out to different organizations and uh, just announce who we were, um, say what we were trying to do. Um, and our first uh, connection started with um, an organization in the UK called Together Now. Um, they were the first group that um, believed in our story and and started mm. referring to us people who otherwise had their visas to be able to enter into the UK, um, but they needed that funding. And so we connected that with our network of travel enthusiasts who had airline miles. And so we were able to do our first cases. 2016 was only three passengers. Um, 
But then we started to grow our NGO network. 2017 was about 100 passengers. Wow. Um, and then we grew to 2018 to over 400. Um, and so quickly we were getting into um, kind of a, a system that was uh, starting to work, but right. there was a lot that we had to do on the way to discover um, how to make those those connections and then also how to grow our own team, which started out as a volunteer team and then into a professional team as we were really doing this at scale. Mm. I love that it, um, you know, you describe there this idea of collaboration, which actually takes humility, right? It's like, mm -hmm. hey, um, I'm going to build this thing, but I know I can't build it on my own. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to need help. There's probably other organizations. And so often, you know, we can look at other organizations that are doing similar things and think they're mm -hmm. our competitors in a mm -hmm. sad, weird way. Sometimes we can we can we can feel like we have to prove ourselves but often those organizations even as large as they are need the 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 the, the volunteers the the resources the networks yeah. the 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 things that you have to offer mm -hmm. which um can't be fixed by someone um in a career role position at a big organization they can only be done by networks on the ground and mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that struck me too was use or even became such an important part of one of the largest immigration organizations, the IOM, in helping to facilitate. They were knocking on your door saying, suddenly saying, hey, can you help us? Is that correct? Um, it, it's slightly different than that. I would say um, as we were um, first trying to grow in in our impact and make connections, I would say first, of course, we knocked on IOM's door. Um, I don't remember the exact year, but I think it was probably around 2019, uh, 2018, 2019, when we first started knocking on IOM's door. Um, and part of that was because um, one of the biggest problems of at least US-based um, refugee resettlement is that for um, people who get official refugee status, um, they're able to fly to the United States um, and they receive a loan through the IOM. Um, but the challenge is that they would have to pay it back um, right. over the course of like three years or so. And so when you have families of seven or 10, that quickly becomes um, an amount that could be a significant burden on, on the family as they're just trying to get um, jobs and establish their own financial stability. And that was often compounded by the fact that they might be resettling into very expensive cities like New York City, where wow. um, they were placed in these places under the care of IRC um, or, or other um, uh, refugee support organizations. But ultimately, we went to the IOM to say, hey, we have this idea. Um, is there a way that we could help alleviate the travel loan um, process? But um, we were also small. And then operationally, we were really making a big ask to really change how the U.S. refugee resettlement process would even work. And so naturally, that um, started out as a no. Um, and I think probably if I were in their shoes, I might have said no as well, because this is um, an organization that flies millions or, or transports millions of yeah. people. And we were at that point flying about 1,500 passengers in a year. Mm. So, um, but what, what did happen was 
that um, at the time of um, Afghanistan, when, was it? Yeah, Afghanistan, when, when Kabul fell, um, yeah. there was quickly a mobilization challenge and IOM was ready to respond in the United States by um, triaging um, uh, Afghan humanitarian, humanitarian parolees who are airlifted to United States military bases, they were ready to respond and make sure that um, everyone was um, was vetted, that they had all that they needed in terms of like medical examinations and also ready for their end destination. But the challenge that they had was that they didn't have funding to operate, um, mm. at, uh, at least to um, facilitate the flights and the transportation. And that took time, but we had a great um, opportunity um, and also in thanks to the Shapiro Foundation, where mm. we were um, we were connected with IOM, with IRC, um, and we were able to bring um, our expertise in um, booking flights, um, as well as um, the generous um, donations that we had received from, from many uh, of our donors to be able to make uh, a very large impact, um, really to the tune of um, flying over 20,000 people. Wow. See, it, yet they did knock on your door in the end, and you, as, as a result of you being brave enough to reach out to them and show yourself that you were there. And I love the courage of being like, you know what, we're not going to – we might be small, we might not have everything, but it's almost like you looked in the mirror and maybe you didn't feel like this, but from the outside looking in, as I hear you tell your story, Nick, it's like you were – you were crazy enough to think that you could actually do this. And, and I think that's what, and when you have a mm -hmm. reason, you know, when you're deeply impacted by the mm -hmm. people that you're serving, you will knock on mm -hmm. anybody's door to find yeah. help and support. And I think, and I think, you know, for many of us, we can easily lose heart in this process of yeah. building an organization, building a team, something bigger than ourselves, it can be easy to kind of revert back to when we feel get setbacks or hurdles or things are difficult. Um, what, you know, what I'm hearing as you share is that there are many challenges even to this day, you know, how do you go to the next level? How do you, how do you make an even bigger impact? Mm -hmm. um, but you weren't afraid to take the next step that needed to be taken at that time. Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? That is correct. I would say that there is a tremendous amount that I learned um, through developing partnerships and, and mm. figuring out logistics in Miles for Migrants that actually helped my career as, as I developed in my own professional career and also in the opposite direction. And mm. so for me, I had a lot of development that happened from 2016 to today around um, boldness and making big asks to organizations, which I would then yeah. take to my job and then doing a better job in my job. But then also the hard skills that I was learning around um, information technology, uh, developing systems, really processes. About, uh, exactly. And, and developing products as well that I could bring into um, the organization and then think about how do we develop systems or things that can scale. Um, so those things alongside the skills that my team had um, and continues to have around um, marketing, around operations, um, mm. all of that was we were able to bring together in 2021 so that when we had this this operational challenge of 
of supporting um, Afghan parolees at the U.S. military bases, we we really came up with a plan and we proposed a lot of things to um, the IRC and, and IOM about how we could take some of that burden on. And um, we also mm. developed other partnerships along the way to to be able to scale um, the the flight booking operations as well. Oh, I hear innovation through all of that. Like, how do we change? How do we innovate? Um, and that's that cross pollination, right? Yeah. That you talk about in your personal life with work, yeah, nonprofit. Because, you know, yeah, you're right. Like in a, in a nonprofit world, people that might be delving into it for the first time, you're going to realize it's a different animal in one sense. You're dealing with donors, not co- um, consumers. You're dealing right. with with and that's one side of things that make it happen. But you have to have a service that actually works and has impact. And we could yeah. talk about, you know all these flights, but did we give them to the right people, you know, and that's the vetting process and making sure we're actually doing the most good. And there's all these challenges in every element of what, of what we do. Um, But I firmly believe in, and we've had a lot of guests recently that have been involved in business that are doing business for good. Um, And I think that, there is this incredible um, innovation that's that we're at the cusp of right now with business and nonprofit to not see them as separate entities, but um, to see how they can can really um, work together to, um, you know, to to you know, kind of yeah. reform in a sense the way business is done, mm-hmm. but also reform the way charity and nonprofit is done. Because right. you can see faults in both sides, right? The charity that doesn't empower, that doesn't create, um, that doesn't create uh, that leg up. It's more a handout kind of mentality, or that that makes someone dependent on welfare, right? Rather than, right. Um, you know, that that assistance that they need to to rebuild and restart and 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 work. But then on the other side, you know, you see business with its you know, it's about profit, but it doesn't actually always benefit society. Mm-hmm. That product might be terrible for society. It might mm-hmm. cause high pollution, or it might cause, you know, just uh, just be not good for for um, relationships. Uh, the way we want, um, I think, humanity would at least want to to see the future um, um, reality be. So. Um, you know, as you talk about that, um, and and you've experienced those kinds of that kind of um, that kind of learnings in the process, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to touch a little bit about your work. I know you said beforehand as we were chatting, you didn't want to talk so much, but you know, AI mm-hmm. and the processes that you've learned—that's also a part of who you are and what you bring that's to true. the table. And and I think it's in, um, you know, I think. I mean, I'm interested. At, we're in the age right now with Chat GPT is just exploding, sure. and and things are going to rapidly change. I had a lawyer actually on, um, who's uh, the head of the um, Asian Pacific Institute of Artificial Intelligence. She's the executive director of that, talking about AI and how it's impacting. It hasn't been released. Well, it will have been released by the time you listen to this podcast. But, um, yeah. but you know, this is this is all very important stuff. So. Yes. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about that and how it intersects maybe with, with your work? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I guess re rewinding back to my time in Italy, I was doing a PhD in speech translation. Um, I mean, as far as the, the research work I was interested in, I was looking at how do you make uh, speech translation more robust and reliable, but really the motivation behind that was breaking down communication barriers that prevent um, people from authentically being able to join communities. So that work already aligns really well when you think about um, forced migration, um, mm. people who are fleeing their countries due to persecution, torture, war, or even things like climate disaster, um, and entering into new countries where they didn't know the language. Part of the motivation around that work that at least when I started my PhD um, was around thinking about communities uh, where language becomes a barrier. And mm. technology and AI is incredibly powerful toward addressing that. Um, a, a story that I can share that's not a win of my own is that, um, for example, Microsoft, um, they uh, really championed during COVID-19 a project alongside other companies to make sure that all of the um, resources and information that were changing every day were localized into all of the world's languages to make sure that the global South had the same opportunity to have information as um, the Anglo world or, or in Europe, mm. for example. So I think these are great examples about how companies um, use innovation to also drive social good. And kind of from that same spirit, my own work at Interactions, where I've gone from um, a natural language processing scientist to a product director of creating AI products, we're, we're always thinking about how do you take that technology and benefit a com community, um, possibly giving um, better access through um, having um, virtual assistants that you can communicate in your native language. Wow. Or even as you look at ChatGPT, how do you make sure that the information is fair and reliable and trustworthy um, as you're seeing more and more that you can do with it, like avoiding things like fake news and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that world is pretty fascinating when it, when it comes to, again, getting back to um, impacting lives. This episode is brought to you by The Just Travel Company, your socially responsible travel concierge. Just Travel is the best kept secret in culturally immersive and justice-oriented adventures. Allow Just Travel to take the hassle out of your next trip and experience wonder and unearth justice. Discover the just way to travel today. Simply head on over to just-travel.co to learn more and book your next adventure. Like our flagship Israel Istanbul trip launching out in mid-July 2023. Yeah, there's several things you've you've discussed which help. You know, I think is going to be an inspiration to people out there, whether they're in a career that they're passionate about, to see that that career, that thing that they're passionate about, can actually still be such a powerful force for. Mm -hmm for good in our world. And as we kind of, you know, you and I kind of really care about people that are persecuted, displaced, yep. need safety. And that that's obviously something that's a bit of a narrow focus for the people we, we care about. And I think it can mm -hmm. be applied to any area of injustice, whether it be poverty and hungry mm -hmm. kids or whether it be women's rights and education. There's, there's so mm -hmm. much overlap in that. Um, but, you know, there's been a recent announcement, for example, with the U.S. government recognizing, hey, the system that's really slowing down, like, 
migration to the US and refugee settlement, like they, the US opened up a hundred thousand spaces for refugees to come. Do you know how many came, even though they had a space for an allowance for a hundred thousand? Do you know how many came through the system? I don't remember the exact number, but I know it was a paltry amount. It was like 25,000. Yeah. Um, that was under Biden administration. Under under the previous administration, it was like 12,000. That's the U. That's the United States, right? This is yeah. humongous, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, a failure really on, on, on the government's part to process. And the problem that they identified is that the – this, it's it. There's this bottleneck with processing people. Embassies were shut during COVID, and and there, things weren't able to be done. And that's where I see the emergence of organisations like yours. Their adoption now. The recent government has actually just announced they're going to adopt the the a Canadian kind of piloted program, which is empowering community sponsorship where a group of families can gather together maybe they can all pull their air miles like and fly them out with their air miles and and then also provide that support when they're on the ground to help them through and what that does is it puts the power of change in the hands of ordinary Mm -hmm. people like you and me that a reddit threat can spur an organization that can harness uh the the interest and values of a whole community of people mm-hmm. that say, yes, let's be a part of that. And, and I think, you know, as I, as I hear you talk, there's just so many where businesses can use this to, and it's about, it's about putting the, you know, releasing the shackles, I guess, and saying, Hey, it's time that we all just, uh, you know, did our little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've raised a couple of interesting points. So you talked about Canada and I think the generosity of individuals. And I think where that showed up very quickly um, as um, the, the war in Ukraine has has continued to escalate um, is that there has been a very, very strong response to bringing in uh, Ukrainians into Canada. Um, and one place where Miles for Migrants has been able to participate is that um, we we co-funded um, with the Canadian government um, the Ukraine Amazing. to Canada Travel Fund, um, and so that was really uh, first um, leveraging um, generous communities who um, were willing to sponsor families um, in their homes, and um, and then the, that piece of transportation still remained a problem, and so uh, we we opened up a, a travel fund application where. Um, Ukrainians could apply for flights and get free, free flights to come to the United States. And the next version of that that the U.S. government um, has started is this idea, as you mentioned, about community sponsors and looking at sponsorship as the way for Ukrainians to get humanitarian parole. So you, like you said, you're already seeing it within government policy that um, that leaning toward communities um, sponsoring families mm. Um, and welcoming them and making them feel like they belong in the community as a prerequisite to to being able to come. So um, I think there's a lot that we've learned from uh, from Canada in that area. Yeah. So and Australia's launched a similar program. I think they're piling it just for 1,500 humanitarian visas that have been approved. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge, though, that you and I face is that um, the system set up to facilitate humanitarian refugee visas, it's a very narrow system to get through. 
Yes. And and you and I know, I mean, having lived abroad, some of the challenges in different um, processing of mm-hmm. how do you get in that system? You know, it's not a, it's a, the privilege, you kind of, kind of sometimes it's who you know that enables you to yeah. even get recognized. And so how then do we provide, because there's many, there's many avenues people mm-hmm. take to try and migrate and, you know, they'll, That's- they'll just if they've got the money, they'll jump on a plane and fly, yeah. uh, get a visa if they can, a tourist visa, and then overstay their visa, which puts them, yeah. you know, not through the technical system. Or they'll, in tragic circumstances, jump on a boat, you know, risk yeah. their lives on dangerous seas. And you know yeah. that they're not going to do that with their family or, or anybody unless they're desperate, unless they really yeah. want another, they're f- afraid for their life, right? Yeah. And um, here's even something that's just recently in, in U.S. government policy. So the U.S. government has released a policy that allows the nationals from Nicaragua, Venezuela, Haiti, I think also Cuba to receive humanitarian parole. Um, but there's a condition to that. Um, these individuals can't receive the benefit if they cross the U.S.-Mexico border and apply for asylum. And to receive it, they actually have to fly into the United States. Um and and so for that action to happen, they have to be able to afford the tickets to to actually enter into that port of entry. Um, and that's a large financial burden. And so this is one example of, of, of a program where there's certain ways that you can get access and get humanitarian parole. Um, but this is also a place where miles for migrants can come in. And so um, we can use our miles and our cash, which I think is like twenty three thousand um airline miles plus 50 bucks per person. And so this is a very tangible thing. And I I would even say to the listening community that um, you could actually donate and, and make this possible so that people can, can come in and and receive that, that human right that they deserve. You heard it guys. I mean, if you're looking for ways to actually make a difference in the life of a family that, you know, has been vetted that, you know, um, will be, able to restart their life um there's a way you can do that just with your miles i mean that's the beautiful thing that you're out there looking for how do we how i mean if this is the new parameters how do we work around that and that's the spirit actually of a refugee you know i've coined the term waymaker I, um mm. and and i think that is what they are they will find a way when there is no way um and and i think that's our commitment to them is that when there's roadblocks, whether it be political roadblocks, yeah. whether it be financial roadblocks, whether it be mm-hmm. uh, roadblocks in the in the minds and hearts of people that don't yeah. see these as human beings worthy of dignity for start and and the agency to determine where they want and and believe that they are safe and and united with their family. There's nothing mm-hmm. more important than seeing families. Yeah. torn apart from each other. Yeah, and, and when you when you say about how difficult it is um, for um, for people to uh, receive their human rights of, of safety, um, and really sometimes that distance can be thousands of miles or kilometers. Um, sometimes there is a barrier, like a physical wall in the case of mm. the U.S.-Mexico uh, border that prevents that from happening. I like to think that um, the organization that we created with Miles for Migrants is an organization that um, that our vision is to make 
um, safety only a few miles away. Um, so instead of that. crossing, having to cross oceans or go through burdens of debt just to do that transportation, to make it just a little bit for people to be able to um, to go to safety and not have to exercise so much resilience to do what is ultimately their human right. Safety is only a few miles away. Um, I love that. Um, I love that phrase that uh, that is the truth, really. And that's the hard thing, right, is there's so many other um, obstacles that try to get thrown in the way that don't need mm-hmm. necessarily to be there. Um, I'm sure you've made your fair share of mistakes along the way, even as you've built this. And I think it's really, um, you know, helpful and for all of us to reflect on, Hey, you know, and even in our best intentions, Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't always get it right. And, and that should never stop us from, from moving forward. Um, I think that's just life, right? But, um, but I think it's good to reflect on that, and also, if you know, if you could share maybe some ways in which you've, you've, you know, you or your organization have, have kind of had to rethink things. What it's what doing justice and making a difference and trying to help has hasn't always worked out the way you intended, and um, hopefully that'll be encouraging people who may feel like they've made a colossal mistake, and yeah. and feel like they can't you know learn from that and move on. So uh, would you mind? Can I ask you a couple? Yeah of of things yeah so let's get real i should roll up my sleeves or something Uh, i I want to get the tissue box out (laughs) got it right here (laughs) Uh, so so i want to be transparent about my own myself and my journey before looking at organizations so um i had the opportunity like i said in italy to be closely in community um with refugees and asylees And there's a bunch of beautiful things that came out of that. For example, my children growing up with their children, um, playing on the playground together, um, enjoying meals, um, crying together, spending time together. And that was a beautiful thing. Um, I'd say one of the things that I had to learn is that through those dinner table conversations and hearing really painful things about Uh, people looking for work or trying to figure out how to make their way, whether it was in Italy or or even when I was back in the United States, back here in the United States with uh, refugees I've met. One temptation I fell into many times was to take on more of a paternalistic nature in trying to help, meaning that if someone was looking for work and looking to um, be able to raise enough funds to, to support their family when their family would come, I would often try to oversolve problems for them, like helping them find the job that would be best for them, or even trying to jump into financial decisions and saying, hey, is that really what you want to do? Um, and while that was um, good natured, I, I like to think, um, sure. I, I know that in some cases I was taking away um, some of the liberties that, that I was actually um, striving for in the work that I was mm. doing um, and not letting people make their own decisions or or even challenging those decisions and not really having enough empathy into their their thought process and things when when things didn't agree with um like my agenda so 
That's mm. me being real. And it took me um, a long time, I would say, kind of in this journey um, to really reflect on that and, and understand how um, I was both doing good and doing harm in some ways um, to the mm. people I cared about. Um, and one book that I think about is this book called When Helping Hurts by Steve sure. Corbett um, yeah. and Brian Flickert. I think there's a couple other authors on there. And the premise of it is really kind of jumping into that good nature bit and really understanding what are the healthy boundaries that you should create to make sure that you're not actually creating some codependency um, and turning yourself into like mm. a paternalistic figure that is going to figure things out. Um, because ultimately that's harmful for, um, for long-term sustainability. And, and also, uh, frankly, it just burns you out. Um, mm. I, I went through phases where I was really yeah. engaged um, to the points when I felt like I can't do this, um, in part because I didn't really understand that um, it wasn't just um, helping someone. It's really that you're walking alongside someone and in some cases, you're letting them lead. Wow. You know, a great book. Um, I think it was a really impactful book that When Helping Hurts because I think it put into to words and into a framework that I think you and I in our own journeys have, you know, struggled with and realized mm -hmm. that, um, that the difference between empowerment and um and let like you said letting others lead in their own story of 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 rescue we don't need to be the rescuer <laughs> you know yeah. we need to be the guide right that's just championing them and supporting them right and and um and we can't always mm -hmm. be in control of the decisions that people yeah. make right like that's that's another hard thing i think too right. is like you know there's a healthy detachment, right? That needs to yeah. be the boundaries when you so care about someone or an issue mm -hmm. to like be okay that things don't happen as you wish. <laughs> yes, yeah. And to be honest, as I wish isn't isn't the right outcome. It, it's got to right. be what they wish, right? And sometimes can. we can think we know what they want, mm -hmm. and we don't. Yeah, it's it's true. You can't truly really have empathy until you really understand what what the other person needs um and uh i think about what um glyden de freitas who's our executive director um has brought uh, as a principal in our organization and I, I may butcher this but it's in lakesh alakim and it's basically what um what happens to someone else's body is like what happens to me and so it's kind of the reverse of uh do unto others as you have done unto you. Yes. Uh, he's really like through his background in, in human rights has really um, embedded this principle of um, what happens to you happens to me, what I do to you, I am doing to myself. And so thinking about this issue of dignity, um, it's very important to think about what sort of liberties I would want if I was in a situation like that, right. but also to take it one step further because it's not just what I want as an American, as, as a white American male, it's really as um, someone from Uganda or someone from, from the Congo who um, is experiencing a new life and a new way of living. Um, what are the things that they want as they're raising their families in their new countries? So beautiful, man. Like, 
And that's that's a complicated thing, you know, as we were talking earlier, because there's a, a, a whole other system they have to live within that doesn't often offer, say, someone from Uganda living in America, that that system and that culture doesn't offer them what they want and left behind. And yet somehow, um, you know, they do deserve to still be able to bring their culture and not have to, I hate the word, assimilate. Right. into a new system but you know there is a an integration that needs to take place and i think mm. that begins with 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 learning that that phrase can you say it again in la cash a la keen it's a mayan principle i love it and what that's saying is that we are one mm-hmm. that uganda the ugandan and the american are actually one and when you don't have the us them mentality i'm mm-hmm. i'm the privileged you're the the right. poor when it's like we both have so much to offer each other and shared experience yeah. suddenly suddenly the i think the the ability for both to actually yeah. mutually flourish and learn and grow yes. through that exchange yeah. is is felt yeah, and, and I'm learning to lean into this principle now so so that if an Afghan is not getting their human rights, I am losing as well. So it becomes really a duty. Um, and so I think my journey has gone from um, wanting to see what others are experiencing to seeing it, to trying to fix it, and then understanding more that it's their journey to fix and their journey becomes my journey as well. So how can I help you on your way? How can I help you on the journey you want to take? And um, that is a, a privilege for us and that lead organizations that are involved in this work is that we get to come alongside people um, and allow them to lead, right? But yes but we get to remove obstacles. You know, I have to share this. I got off the call from a friend who recently uh, got some terrible news while the rest of the country here in Australia, 20,000, sorry, uh, in Australia got some wonderful news. Um, The Australian government, there was a change of government, which was a great news, I guess, for those from asylum, refugee background. Some of the policies here in Australia have been terrible with offshore detention and onshore detention, which have taken people that have come here uh, through um, more dangerous routes, taking boats um, and and not through the the humanitarian system that's in place. Um, 20,000 that came through that processing have been now allowed to receive visas to stay permanently is wonderful news yes um and and was actually like you know a, a year or two ago i didn't even think like it was possible um unfortunately for my friend who was on a boat with a hundred other people he and his wife at the time and another couple were taken to a, a detention center on an island in the middle of the pacific whilst the others were taken to australia um an australian island called christmas island those that went to the Australian island and processed on the Australian island were a part of the 20,000 that were received, ah. received. But because arbitrarily he was taken to another place, another, another on offshore 
country, mm. Middle Pacific Island, he and all the others that were processed there at that, um, and throughout the years of processing have been left off. Mm. He is an amazingly beautiful man, the most gentle husband to his wife, to, to I think three children. Um, one of his daughters shares the, Eliana shares the name of my daughter, Eliana. Mm. We've become friends and, um, you know, listening to his journey of now being in Australia for 10 years after being um, in this Pacific Island Detention Centre previous to that, um, has now his children that were born here, I mean, sorry, they were born on detention offshore, now come to Australia that all they've known is school here and now have been told that they have to leave Hmm. and start their life again. I share that story because um, it, it just breaks my heart that, um, you know, there are, um, there are people that just don't have that freedom and agency to choose. Um, and you know, for him who's can't even bear to think about having to leave after 10 years to start life again, Mm-hmm. I think one of the most basic things a human needs is that sense of belonging and acceptance in that community that they're at. And they've built that. Yeah. They've got friends that love them, mm-hmm. support them, that are helping them. All they need is a piece of paper to say that they can that they can get um, proper working documents, that they can get access to medical care, that their kids can get government support that everybody else gets. They can't get that, but yet they have community around them. Right. And yeah, I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, for me, the the beautiful thing is, is that you're bringing people to America, but you're, you're bringing them to a place where there's, they're able to finally rebuild their lives and belong. Um, Mm. And if they end up, if this family ends up having to leave and maybe they get, asylum in new zealand or america our loss yes honestly they will i've told him i said he'll make it you'll make it no matter where you go because i believe in you i mm-hmm. he, but if he doesn't feel like he can make it and yeah. he feels so fragile that you know then i need to like do fight everything within me to to make a way to help them to stay um i shared that i don't know it was just fresh on my mind this morning just as we've talked and about you know this is the world i think for people to realize that this is what's happening on a day-to-day basis with people Mm -hmm. around us we might not even know that are suffering across borders but like you said um safety is just a few miles away and if we can make some we can transform someone's life with just the simple donation of a mile airline miles i mean for anyone listening, like, especially if you're in the US, like, do it. Don't even think, <laughs> honestly. Um, because, yeah, that sense of belonging and safety to be able to, to start and rebuild your life is it's everything for people. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Tim. Um, it's, it's very powerful just, just thinking about belonging and, and thinking about the importance of being able to feel like you are part of that community you're moving into. And I, and I would say that like, while that's one of the um, 
ancillary benefits of what we do with Miles for Migrants, um, we've had to focus intentionally on one part of the problem of the refugee journey. And that was really that transportation barrier area and making mm. sure that victims of forced migration have pathways into those countries when they have otherwise every other approval to be there. Um, but we need partnerships with communities. We need people who care, um, not just to donate miles. And of course, we love your, your miles, but people who are there on the ground who are willing to receive um, families in their community, individuals in their community, and I'm really willing to go on that journey with them. So it's uh, Miles for Migrants is one step. It's one necessary step. Mm. And it's, it's also one that very few organizations actually solve this problem around transportation. But of course, it's not everything. And we need really everyone to be working toward making sure that people can execute their right for, um, for safety, but also to be able to experience that uh, belonging in those communities. Well, it's fantastic because I know there's so many people who listening would be like, I want to, I want to, I've got a, a small group or a, a, we're a part of a, a community group, a knitting group, I don't care, um, rotary group, whatever you might be part of it. Like we can, we can, we'll, we'll support a family. But they often don't have the finances or the resources to do it. There's one thing that they're lacking. And I think to know there's, you know, there's organizations like yours that can solve maybe just one part of, that journey for someone, but um, such, you know, such an important step without that flight, without that transport out, the journey can't begin, right? For their new step in life. Um, um, I'm grateful for your time. I know you're, you're a busy father of two young kids and, and you, you wear a lot of hats in working. Um, but it's encouraging to know that there's people like you and your team out there that, um, you know, that are dedicated to this, um, to serving these waymakers. What a, what a joy, um, you know, for you, it seems like a sacrifice, but what, I mean, how much joy, how much joy does it bring right at the end of the day, right? When you get to, to be part of these stories and it's something you have to remind yourself when you get stuck in the weeds of the, of the, day in, day out, you know, yeah. part of it. Yeah, I have to say, I'm, I'm just really proud of my team. We've been uh, a small team to date, and we are still under 10 people in our organization. And we've had great people who've also come and left the organization going on to other ventures. But without a community, this would still just be an idea. This would still just be me flying one family and trying to uh, find a way to make something bigger. But it was really with the people who came alongside me and also the people that sometimes I followed along the way that really made this possible. So it just underscores to me um, why it's important to be grateful for people who come alongside you that also give you strength when you feel weak and you feel like maybe this is never going to take off. Um, and sometimes you're the person to saying, saying to others that, no, like we are getting through this, like we are, we are, moving on and and this is an organization that's going to be 10 more years come on let's go like this is this is worldwide absolutely you just taken off man <laughs> we're going to be conveners <laughs> like you're going to see us around like our our goal is is um to really um convene people who care about human rights and and ultimately 
use what we know and what we can lean into to help inform the world about migration. So uh, we have to always think big about what we're, what we're doing, um, but that Come really on. takes a community uh, supporting one another and finding opportunities to reach into those places that we haven't reached into before. Hey, you know, I'm going to be, um, well, I've already made sure that we're having a regular update and catch up. Um, I've got that scheduled in and, and I'm excited to see how, you know, you belong and, and basically, you know, the Australian community here can, can really, um, participate in what you're doing. Um, like you, in, like you said, like, let's, let's see this thing do so much more in the next 10 years. I think our world will be better for it. I think our communities need to see that this is a win-win. This isn't just a win for for those that are fleeing persecution and seeking asylum. This is a win for our communities, our countries that right. receive these amazing people. So uh, it's, it's exciting days ahead for you guys. Um, so grateful for you, Nick. Um, yeah, you should be proud of you, yourself and your team. And um, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast, mate. Yeah, thanks. And to everyone listening, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, if you want to learn more about Miles for Migrants or or just talk about um, the things that are on your mind uh, where you're you're thinking about making impacts, um, I'd say go for it. And if you want to talk, let's talk. Absolutely. So how do they do that? Um, miles for Migrants, that's Miles with the number four. Yep. Migrants. Yep. .org. Mm-hmm. .org. It'll be in the show notes. Um, Nick, uh, if you don't mind, I'll put your email or, or someone's email that <laughs> you know will be able to respond and attend to their request uh, as best and quickly as possible in the show notes as well. We want to make it easy for anyone listening to, to like switch this off, pull over and, and, um, and do take some action, right? Because uh, it's that easy. Um, and you've made it easy, so with all your hard work. Appreciate it. Um, can't wait to see what uh, the future holds. Appreciate you, Nick. Making it to the end of another episode of Justice Matters with Tim Buxton. It is an immense privilege to share these conversations and inspiring people with you. To learn more about how you can get involved or learn more about today's guest, head on over to the show notes or episode description. This podcast was produced by the master himself, Jose Biotto, with just a little bit of help from me. The featured music is the song Turning Over Tables by The Brilliance. Lastly, to my Patreon community out there, thank you so much for your support and generosity. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to become a Patreon and get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, visit patreon.com forward slash justice matters and start your give-what-you-can monthly contribution today and join me and so many others in creating a world where everyone belongs. Until next time, thank you for subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends. Justice Matters with Tim Buxton acknowledges and pays respect to the past, present and future traditional custodians and elders of this nation, now known as Australia, and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.